Welcome to the Death Kit Show. Let's go. Hey. All right. Welcome to the GK Show. Fun music at the beginning. Yeah. Having a good day. Let's start the pod. All right, everybody, welcome back. Um, get another one out. I'm recording this all on Saturday night. Trying to get some stuff out. We'll put it out later this week. Um, scheduling the post. Anyways, real quick, if you haven't yet, please. Rate the podcast five stars. It takes less than 10 seconds. If you want to write a review, that'd be awesome. I appreciate it. But at the very least, please rate it five stars. Tell a friend if you're enjoying it. Uh, I'm trying to post little clips of it on social media. My social media is my name, Jeff Keith, G-E-O-F-F-K-E-I-T-H. So that's on Twitter and Instagram, whatever. If you want to email me, it's in the show notes always. You can email me whatever you want. Something you want me to talk about or whatever. I don't care. Something I'm doing wrong, something I'm doing right. Whatever. I'll read it. Okay, so I'm going to play a motivational video because I did this once on an earlier podcast and the uh, I got a couple emails from people actually saying how it really... Um, like they really needed that, you know, and like lifted up their day or they were in a funk and it helped them out. So I know it's kind of corny, little cheesy, but I feel like these inspirational, motivational speeches, they're all over YouTube and some of them are really good. And it does kind of, even for me, you know, flip me into a better mindset sometimes when you're in a funk. So I just, I'll put that at the end, but I just want to say up front that I'm going to do it. It's only three minutes. What's so funny though, is the comments on it, uh, you know, this this speech is by a guy named Ben Lionel Scott, just so I get that out of the way. It'll play at the end. Uh, <laughs> so people are, you know, in the comments saying, like, oh, you know, this is good, obviously, and all that stuff and whatever. So this person writes a quote, to get something you never had, you have to do something you never did. And then he attributes the quote to Danzel Washington. <laughs> I just think it's funny. It might be a typo, or maybe this guy thinks Denzel Washington is Danzel, D-A-N-Z-E-L. Hey, Danny. Danny Washington. Danzel. Danzel Washington. What if Denzel Washington said that, but originally it was a guy named Danzel Washington who said that, and Denzel stole it from Danzel, and there's a guy named Danzel walking around going, you know Denzel steals all my my best shit. (laughs) Can't believe it, man. Denzel. I'm Danzel. People are like, no one cares about Danzel. We like Denzel. All right, so I just saw that in the comments, and I thought it was great. Okay, so that'll be at the end. Uh, This pod, I'm going to talk about some of my worst bombs ever on stage. People ask all the time to comedians, oh, what's like, do you ever have bad sets? Yes, we all have bad sets. All your favorite famous comedians have had bad sets. And sometimes you're trying stuff out, so it's a bad set because it's not worked out yet. Sometimes it's just not your audience. Sometimes... Uh, it's the situation, you know what I mean? So I thought of this because uh, earlier this month, I did a couple uh, gigs out of Miami on cruise ships. And I'm not trying to brag, okay? This was always the goal. But uh, 
I was doing really well. And uh, the first cruise went great. All the shows were great. And then the second cruise was uh, crowds were a little bit rougher, but I was doing really well. But then the last show, right? So I'm going to tell about four stories of me bombing. And uh, this is the first one. So the last show, it all just depends, I guess, when you're on these ships. Like, uh, is it a port day? You know, is everybody out drinking all day? And I heard the three-day cruises from the other comedians are like, those are rougher because, you know, it's just a different clientele. Those are the cheapest cruises. So make whatever <laughs> insinuations you want from that. So the people on there don't have as much money as the people that do the seven-day cruises. And they can be a little bit rougher of a group. So anyways... The comic told me, like, man, I'm so happy you have the late show on the last night. He's like, that show sucks. And he's like, I'm so glad I don't have the... And both our shows were late. Like, his was 10.30, mine was 11.30. But he said the 11th one was really bad. So this this cruise, it's a cool cruise and everything, but it's a little interesting. Like, the first day you're at sea, you leave Miami. The next day, you are just at sea again. And then the next day, the third day, you go to the Bahamas, and then... After that, like everyone's out all day or whatever. And then after that, they just jet home, right? You get back to Miami around 6 a.m. <clears throat> in the morning the next day. So uh, pretty interesting cruise. So three-day cruises, too. People like just really like to jam in the partying, I feel like. You know? You're only there three days. It's vacation. You paid for it. It's not cheap, you know? So you're going to party hard. So by the very end of it, you're probably a little partied out, right? So uh, maybe you got into some fights, you know, with people that you were on the ship with, and because you aggravated each other. I don't know. So um, the the show starts, and sometimes you can just tell, like, this is not going to be the best set of my life. And I felt that. And the thing that's fun um, and interesting about the the ship shows is people come back to see your other shows because they're doing. I'm doing four different sets. So, you know, if they like one of them, they're like, oh, we'll come back and see that guy's other show. And a lot of people, that's their main thing. They love going to the comedy clubs uh, on the ship. So they, they make sure to go to every show. Not everybody. Some people just stroll in. Oh, okay, that was a fun show. And then they don't care anymore, even if they liked it. And some people are like, oh, we're definitely coming back to see you. So I got on stage and I could tell the front of the audience, like the people on my right, my left, and right in front of me, close to the stage all came it felt like because they like me they'd seen me before or they're just maybe in a better mood because everything you know all my materials working with them but i'd say the back half of the room maybe even more than half maybe it might have been like it might have been 40 percent liked me 60 percent didn't i don't know it's kind of hard to gauge because when it's not going great it kind of exaggerates in your mind you know like it kind of feels maybe worse than it is so i just knew it i'm like man these people are tired some are drunk i'm just getting the i just felt like the arms crossed body language coming at me right so about halfway through my set this girl who by the way was clearly drunk and like when i got on stage she was standing up and still talking to her table and stuff like very rude whatever so she starts to leave with her friend and the walk was very much like her walk was telling me fuck off. <laughs> I mean, like her walk was you suck. So I knew it was going on, whatever. And I go up oh, there, I go there, they go, and she goes, "You ain't funny." <laughs> and I was just like, "Yep, <laughs> figured, figured you would think that because you were you're leaving." I go, "Your body is exiting the room," so I figured that would be your take. 
And then she's like, you haven't said a funny thing the whole time you've been up there. And then the people in the front are like, what the hell's going on? We love this guy, you know? And then, I don't know, I made some jokes about it. And then I like to stay in the pocket whenever the show... And the thing that's funny is I ended up turning the back of the room onto my side after that because they just realized I couldn't, you know, I didn't care. And, you know, it is what it is. I always think it's funny. Some comedians get real, even though they're comic on the ship. <laughs> he was watching my show and he's like, man, you handled that a lot better than I would because I just kept making jokes about it after she left. And I was just upbeat and happy about it. I mean, it is what it is. Like, does it feel good in the moment? Like, do I, do I want that to happen? Of course not. But it is what it is. Yeah, I mean, comedy subjective. Not everyone's going to like you. I think it's kind of rude if you're not enjoying somebody to be like a jerk about it, but whatever. Um, it's just a very, very, very small sliver of my time on this planet. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm not going to fixate on it. But uh, I always go over my time, unless there's a, another comic on the show or something, or there's another show after mine. Cause I, and I told the audience, I go, sometimes, you know, a lot of comics are having bad sets. They're like, man, I got to get out of here. I'm going to bail early. I go, not me. I go, guys, I want you to know I'm over my time. I am sticking around. I go, I want to enjoy this, <laughs> this show even more with you guys. I go, I just want to, maybe it's because I hate myself, but I just love the shitty shows sometimes. You know what I mean? And it's funny because a bunch of people still came up to me after the show, even though it felt like it was such a horrible set. And they were like, you were great, blah, blah, blah. What was going on with that? And I'm like, I don't know, whatever, who cares? So, and it was fun because I got to finally turn the room like halfway through the set. I got the back of the room on board. So that was my most recent, what you would call, I guess, I mean, it wasn't, I didn't bomb with everybody, but it wasn't a good set. Uh, worst heckle I ever got, I was, this is early on. Um, I don't even, I don't think I had a career yet in stand-up. I was very new, and I don't know who, if you know, but comics, we kind of perform anywhere when we're starting out. It's not like you start doing stand-up and you're working at comedy clubs. You have to do bar shows. I would do Alcoholics Anonymous meetings. I would do Narcotics Anonymous meetings. I would do coffee shops. Like You do so do a lot. I did a nudist colony. I've done all sorts of weird situations because I've done a swap meet talent show. Um just to get stage time. You just need to get stage time somewhere when you first start, right? So I'm doing this bar gig in Covina, California, right? Not West Covina, Covina, not even the nice part. So I remember this bar is called The Well. I don't know if it's still there. It's a small little kind of dive bar. Yeah, it's a dive bar. And the show is set up. The mic is just right near the entrance, which is also the exit, right? Skinny little narrow bar. And I am, uh, I'm eating it. Okay. I'm eating shit. There weren't a lot of people in there. Granted, I don't, and the people that were in there, I don't know who was really there to see the show. It's another thing when you start out, it's kind of interesting. It's kind of hard to figure out like, is this working? Cause people aren't really listening. So man, it's so funny that I did all this stuff when I was younger and I'd probably still do it now. If somebody asked me, they'd probably have to pay me though to go to that bar. But anyway, so I, uh, I'm bombing, right? And this is the thing, this is why I always say people go like, what was the worst heckle you've ever gotten? Hecklers usually are not, um, usually most of the time, even though they're rude and everything, they're not trying to ruin the show. Most of the time it's somebody who's drunk. They think they're making the show better, whether it's a man or a woman. Usually that's the case. After the show, they're like, hey, you know, and then because like they'll be rude and stupid and then the comedian or whatever will handle it and make fun of them or whatever and everyone's laughing and they think that they're part of generating the laughs, right? That's usually what it is. And after the show, they're like, hey, that was great the way we worked together, right? And it's like, yeah, whatever. Like, I don't need, you don't go everywhere with me. I didn't book this gig because, you know, you're on all my shows trying to ruin it. So we're not trying to ruin it, but just being rude. But uh, 
every now and then people do try and ruin it in their assholes. But usually, I'd honestly say 99% of the time, hecklers are just drunks and they're kind of rude people naturally and they just think they're helping or they think that's how you're supposed to act, right? So it's usually not malicious. Um, so this, this is not even a heckle. So I'm bombing at this bar show at the well in Covina, California. And this guy, this old guy, just, he wants to leave. Right. And you don't know if he's leaving cause he's done day drinking or it wasn't day drinking or that nighttime, I guess, but maybe it was there. I feel like it was during the day for some reason. Was that show during the day? My memory has it sunny outside. That's fucking weird. What, what was it during the day? I don't know. So he walks past me, which is just hilarious because to, if you're walking out, usually on a comedian, you don't walk shoulder to shoulder past them. So the guy walks past me. He's already kind of almost out the door. And I was so bad. He didn't say this so anyone would hear it. He didn't say it to make me feel bad about myself or anything like that. Just under his breath, because of how bad I was doing, this guy, I, I'm the only one that heard him. He goes, fucking terrible <laughs> that hurt so bad at this point i'm very like brand new to stand up i do not have my thick skin yet and that hurt so bad because if you would have yelled out you're fucking terrible then there's kind of that uh don't be an asshole okay i'm not having a great set but you don't need to be a jerk about it this guy was just like <sighs> like he couldn't i was so bad his body, his brain was like, we got to talk to ourselves real quick. He didn't even say it at me. He didn't even like whisper it to me like, hey, you're fucking terrible. He just under his breath was like, fucking terrible. <laughs> it just came out of him. That's how bad I was bombing. I was bombing so bad, it, I made this guy talk to himself uh, involuntarily. So that was pretty bad. Um, all right. <clears throat> These two bombs, the last two I'm going to talk about, are great. Um so the person who kind of really gave me a career in stand-up was Pablo Francisco. If you don't know who that is, you can look him up. Very, very funny comedian. And Pablo is just a great guy. And he's very much open to, like a lot of comedians, you know, who have people opening for them because they're famous and selling tickets, whatever. They'll put restrictions on them. Be like, hey, you can't curse. Uh, don't talk about this. Don't talk about that. Don't talk to the audience. Like, don't do crowd work because I do that. Or I have a bit where I say who's married. So don't ask anyone if they're married. It's like some people can be very particular, right? Oh, don't do that because I do this. Or don't. I don't like people before me saying this or whatever, right? So Pablo is not one of those guys. Pablo is a great dude. And he kind of encourages, like, if it's funny, like, just do it, right? So when I first started out, I was told... You know, when I first started on comedy, I was told, like, oh, you should always be clean because then you can work more places, which is a good rule of thumb. And if you can work clean, it's, you know, it is harder to be really funny sometimes being clean because especially, you know, certain audiences, you know, whatever. So, like, you can't shock them with, you know, sex stuff or whatever and all that, which I have that in my act. So I'm not saying it's not funny. It's obviously very funny. A lot of it. Some of the best comedians in the world are, you know, dirty. But so anyways, I would do that. I would try and work generally clean. And then, like, touring with Pablo, he just didn't care. And I remember I would just tell him stories, you know, sexual stories or something about something that happened. And uh, I remember one time he goes, go on stage and open with it. And I go, what? No, I wasn't telling it like a joke. He's like, that's hilarious. He's like, go on stage and blah, blah, blah. And anyways, the bit that I'm talking about right now, and I ended up doing on HBO uh, for Down and Dirty with Jim Norton, which is like a show we were supposed to be doing dirty material. So that's kind of funny because I never would have thought to tell the story on stage. It turned into this bit that I used to close with for a while, but it was very dirty. So long story short, uh, my manager at the time 
was also the company, they also managed Jeff Dunham. And Jeff Dunham is a very famous ventriloquist, right? His audience, way different than Pablo Francisco's audience. So with Pablo's audience, you know, he had a lot of, I was young at the time. His, his audience, a lot of people my age, a little bit older than me, you know, young 20s. You know, they liked it, raunchy stuff. Pablo did some dirty stuff and they loved it. So I was like a little rock star opening for him. And so my manager at the time goes, hey, do you want to go to Palm Beach, West Palm Beach and open for Jeff Dunham? A feature form, which is like middling, which is, you know, usually you do 30 minutes, but if a guy's headliner's doing an hour, maybe sometimes you only do 20, right? And with Pablo, I'd always do 30. So he goes, all you got to do is 20 minutes in front of Dunham because he does an hour. And I go, okay, and that's all he wants. He just wants his feature to do 20 minutes. And I, this is the thing. I had emceed for Jeff Dunham for, I believe, a weekend at the Irvine Improv, or maybe it was just one night. I can't remember. But emceeing, it was pretty easy, you know, because uh, I didn't notice the huge difference in his crowd. I was very comfortable at the Irvine Improv at that point because I'd, you know, I'd been at that club a lot. So, you know, when you emcee, you know, some of your time is eaten up by like, hey, what's up, guys? We're going to have a great show. Jeff Dunham's here. Let him hear it. Okay, cool. Everyone's clapping. Uh, all right, anybody celebrating anything? Okay, blah, blah, blah. You, get, you know, you get some of that stuff out of the way. You do a little bit of crowd work, you know, and everything. Then you do you use some material, and then you're done right and then you bring up the the feature the middle if there's a guest set then you bring up the headliner boom 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 so i don't remember that going terrible or anything when i emceed for him so i'm like yeah and then he told me he goes look you know dunham's audience is way different than pablo's you got to be you got to be cleaner you know you don't have to be totally he goes you don't have to be totally clean but you've got to be you know you, you get you can't be as dirty as you are in front of pablo and i go yeah i go no i got it i go i only have to do 20 minutes you know at this point in my head i'm like i got all this material i'm crushing it in front of pablo's crowd it might not be as good but it'll be good <laughs> right so i'm like yeah 20 minutes of course i need the money obviously and he's like yeah it'll be good for you and he was right it was good for me so i go out to west palm beach florida and oh, this is so funny too because at the time my girlfriend at the time she lived in miami so like me going to that's another reason why i was like yeah i'll take the gig because me going anywhere to south florida is great because i got to see her and uh she i think she drove up to see me anyways her mom we'd been dating for a few months or something or a while and her mom had not met me yet <laughs> so her mom was going to come to one of the shows so this kind of makes the bomb even better so the first night was Thursday. I did Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And it was, I did seven shows. So it must have been one show, one show, Thursday, two Friday, three Saturday, and one Sunday, something like that, right? Is that, that's seven? Yeah. I think it was that. It might have been two on Sunday. I don't think I did two on Sunday, though. Anyways, so Thursday, I'm on stage, and I'm just going to like, okay, it's my first time featuring for jeff dunham i'm just gonna feel him out you know what i mean i'm just gonna see how it goes and see where i can test the water so i start out and the crowd was good i don't know why this crowd on thursday was different than the other crowds but the crowd was really good i was having a really good set i wasn't crushing or anything i wasn't just like annihilating and you know setting some new record for funniest comedian alive but i was doing really well and then i remember going oh i'm gonna do i'm gonna see if the, you know how far i can push it with them so i do this bit that's kind of you know a little dirty but it's not the worst thing ever and they loved it and i'm like oh okay i get off stage thinking this is gonna be the easiest week ever like only have to do 20 minutes that first show was fine i'm good to go <laughs> right 
the next night, I think it was the next night, I'm pretty sure, well, I know it was the next night that the set I'm saying, but I'm pretty sure that was also the night that my ex, now my ex, but whatever, my girlfriend at the time, her and her mom came to the show. I think she drove up to see me or whatever, and her mom came to the show. And, like, you know, at this point, you know, my ex-girlfriend is telling her mom, oh, he's so funny. <laughs> You've got to see him. Because she met me when she was working at the Miami Improv, which she was still working at the time. And I was opening for Pablo. So that's where, and like, like I said, Pablo's crowd, I'm, I'm golden with them at the time, right? So, you know, she's, she's probably, I'm assuming, telling her mom, like, he's such a funny comedian. Like, the crowds love him. He's so funny. So, guys, I go on stage thinking the crowd is going to be like Thursday. And I, I did that. I think it's when I got, it was going like not as well. And then when I got to, the, uh, this bit like in my head I'm like oh, I'll just do that set I did Thursday I'll just do that the whole week right easy peasy and uh, I did the bit that was kind of like a little blue a little dirty and it just bombed so bad I was on stage and I did it early in my set too so it was crickets okay and by the way I don't know if I, I forgot to mention this Jeff Dunham he wasn't as big as he got but he was already really popular and and he was selling out. Every single show was sold out. Every single show sat 350 people, and there were 350 people in there, right? And this club was packed in. Everybody just packed. So I'm not bombing in front of like, hey, we only have you know 27 people in the crowd tonight. What a weak night, you know? I'm bombing in front of 350 people. And when I say bombing, it's not like, ah, uh, it's not going as well as it usually goes. It was crickets. There was like one joke that got... I don't know. My dog is walking around now. There was one joke that got... Oh, I got to pause. Okay, there was one joke that got a small portion of the audience to laugh. I remember the joke, too. I think it was about me being in line at Walmart and some lady couldn't find the DVD section. I don't know. That is the only joke that kind of worked, and it wasn't even my closer. So it wasn't like, okay, well, at least I ended okay. It was so bad. If anyone has ever been on stage in any sort of way and they're just eating shit my mouth dried up i got cotton mouth it was almost like when you smoke a bunch of weed or something and you're just your mouth completely dries up i i it was so weird i bombed so bad that show and then i remember and by the way after that i was terrified i had five more shows okay i'm one for two but that offer was so bad so i am terrified about the rest of the week I'm like, I can't go back on stage. I have no idea what I'm going to do. Do you know what it's like? I mean, I'm sure you don't. But <laughs> to have all this material and you work it with like certain crowds and the, you know, Pablo was always selling out too, so his crowds were packed and you're just like killing it and people love it and this joke works and that joke works and this gets an applause and that is great and people love you afterwards and you're signing autographs and then you're, you know, you're selling a bunch, a bunch of CDs, which I was doing at the time. And then to go from that to go to another crowd and the same stuff is just eating a huge penis. Like it was so bad. So I'm terrified. I don't know if it was that show or another show where I bombed that bad that week. I sat in the gutter. I went and sat in the gutter and I was crying because I I just real I'm like I'm not funny. I thought I was funny. I thought I was going in the right direction. I thought that I was doing really well, but I am not funny. I'm terrible. This is so bad. 
I have no idea what I'm going to do. I, I purposely remember sitting in the gutter, not on the curb, because honestly, even though I was by myself, I felt that I didn't deserve the curb. That's how bad it felt, right? And so I did seven shows that week with Jeff Dunham. And I remember this. I remember two were good. That Thursday show was good. There was another show that was good. And then three were okay. They weren't like the bomb. And then two were like the bomb, I said. I can't remember which other show it was. It was one of the Saturday shows, I think, where it was just another huge bag of crap that I was eating the whole, the whole time I'm on stage. 20 minutes, by the way, is... I mean, I know it sounds, if you're not on, if you're used to being on stage, it sounds like, oh man, being on stage for 20 minutes talking, that's nothing. That's nothing. You know what I mean? Yeah, get, you can't crank out 20 minutes, Jeff, old Jeff, young Jeff, I mean, whatever, old, old back in the day Jeff, who's young Jeff, you can't crank out 20 minutes of decent material for this crowd? Oh my God, it was bad. And uh, I don't remember if it was the first bomb, but it was one of them that my uh, my girlfriend brought her mom to and it was just so bizarre meeting somebody who clearly was told one thing and just saw another <laughs> thinking this is who my daughter's all obsessed with oh i have a daughter i can't even imagine if you know what what could be a thing that you know this person's in some sort of performance industry and my daughter's like he's the best dad <laughs> you love him and then it's just the worst um yeah, another thing too that was funny about that weekend is even on the shows that went well, it still sucked because I'm out there trying to sell my CDs. I did not try and sell them after the bomb shows. No, if anyone was thinking, I did not sit there and go, well, that went well. Who wants to buy my album? <laughs> I uh, So Jeff Dunham, uh, you know, he does puppets. He's a ventriloquist and people would come up to me, I'm not joking, and make, they didn't do it on purpose, but they didn't realize how, humiliating it was for me they'd go oh you were so funny i just love peanut though so i remember a lady sent it to me so peanut was the name of one of his puppets so she's telling me you were funny but that inanimate object that doesn't have feelings i just want you to know that i i love that inanimate object more than you that that inanimate object will never know that i said this or feel any sort of way about this but now you get to feel like shit because <laughs> you're not as good as that puppet. It's like, just say you like Jeff Dunham. We know that's why you're there. You're a big Jeff Dunham fan. He's the voice of Peanut. He's doing the voice. So, all right. That was that was the one of the worst bombs. And there was a double bomb there, right? Because I did I bombed twice that week. Bad. Cottonmouth both times. Cried in a gutter. <laughs> it doesn't get much worse than that. Okay, here is one of my favorite bombs. This is one of my favorite bombs because I knew it was going to be a bomb. And I warned this lady not to hire me, and she did anyway. So I, uh, back when this manager I talked about earlier was just kind of helping me out, wasn't really my official manager yet, he calls me one day and goes, hey, this lady wants to um, hire you to perform at her daughter's bat mitzvah. And he goes, it's going to be a hell gig. Do you want to do it? It pays $400. And I was like, man, so if anyone doesn't know, I'm Jewish. I was bar mitzvahed, and uh, I've been to a lot of bar mitzvahs. I've been to a lot of bat mitzvahs, which is what is uh, for if a girl is getting, the, the girl version is bat mitzvah. If it's two, if it's like twins or something, it's b'nai. If they're both girls, it's benot, right? So anyways, 
Now, little, little Jewish, uh, little Jewish facts for you. So, anyways, I said to him, "I'm like, look, man, I've been to a lot of bar and bat mitzvahs in my day. I don't think I'm cut out for this. Like, I think it's a bad idea." He's like, "Oh, he's like, it's going to be terrible, but she wants to book you." I go, "Why does she want to book me? Has she even seen my act?" And he said, "No, she just wants a cute Jewish guy." And he goes, "She just wants to talk to you first. Or he's like, he said, I think he said, "Like, do you want to talk to her?" I'm like, "Yeah." So I look at the time, by the way, I'd never gotten paid $400 to do stand up ever. I don't think I'd ever gotten $400 for one set. I gotten, you know, $400 over the course of a weekend. I've gotten more than that, but I'd never gotten $400 to do one set. So do I want this $400? Hell yeah, I do. Um, do I think I'm going to do a good job? Nope. So I call this lady. I said, hi, go my manager. Bill said that you want to hire me for your daughter's bat mitzvah. And she said, yeah, I saw your picture. You'll be great. And I was like, what? You saw my picture. And so I said, look, I go, you know, I've been to a lot of bar bar mitzvahs. I was bar mitzvahed. I go, I don't think I'm the right type of act for a bat mitzvah. Keep in mind, by the way, I forgot to mention this. This is an orthodox bat mitzvah. Orthodox, that's like super Jewish, okay? There's like reform that's like low level. They're, they, you know, they'll have like their guitars and shit. And then there's like conservative temples which is the one I went to, which is kind of like mid-level. You know, we don't clap when people are done with stuff. Uh, we don't have guitars and pianos and all that. It's just kind of just straight up praying and chanting and all that stuff. And then there's Orthodox, and these people are like men and women praying in different rooms. You can't cut your hair over your ears. Like those are the people you see that wear, you know, the the stereotypical like Jewish, they look like little, uh, what do you call it, like pilgrim hats and all that stuff, whatever, and they dress in a weird way. They wear their, their talises, their talisim. You know, so they have little things uh, hanging, uh, the seat seat. I'm saying a lot of Jewish stuff now. Anyways, so Orthodox is even more Jewish, is my point. It's like very, it's very Jewish. So I said, I go, I really just don't think, you know, I go, I told her, I go, look, I don't think you should hire me. I don't want to ruin your daughter's bat mitzvah. I don't have the right act for this. I go, I usually perform at comedy clubs or bars at this point. And she goes, no, you'll be great. She's like, I saw your picture. You're adorable. And I'm like, yeah, but <laughs> thank you, but I don't think I'll be great. I think I, I go, I don't, I don't think I. And she just, she goes, you just have to do 30 minutes. And she goes, don't worry. She goes, my daughter's hurt at all. Because I said, I go, what are the content restrictions? You know, I don't know if I have enough clean stuff. And she goes, don't worry about that. My daughter's hurt at all. And I said, well, what about all the other kids that are there? And what about all the other people that are there for a bat mitzvah? You know what I mean? Like, do they want to hear curse words and all this stuff? And she goes, don't worry, anything goes. She kept saying, anything goes. Anything goes. What does that mean, guys? How would you take that? I take that as those two words. Anything goes. So if you have anything to say, whatever it is, it goes, it's fine. So that's how I took it. So I get to this thing, and I told my roommate at the time, who has since stolen $10,000 from me, we're no longer friends, and he's a, I found out he's a con artist, and whatever. He... um. I said, hey, man, do you want to come to this gig with me? It's going to be terrible. Like, I might need some support. And I, I think I told him what the gig was, and he's like, oh, I got to come see this. So he goes with me, and this lady, I think I showed up at like 8.30 or something. She just kind of parades me around the party. She's like, this is the comedian. I meet the, the girl who's being bat mitzvah. I'm like, oh, congratulations. This girl could give a shit, by the way. She's with her friend. It was a huge bat mitzvah, by the way. These people had money. I've been to a lot. This was enormous. Um, very, very big, they had a lot going on. It was in Hollywood. So 
she's kind of parading me around telling me oh, I'm a comedian. It was very like everything about this is not what I would ever want in a gig, right? And so, <coughs> excuse me. So, uh, you know, I'm taking a picture in the big chair. I remember, it was like Jacqueline's big chair. It was like this huge, oversized chair, and people take pictures in it. So, me and my uh, roommate at the time, my buddy at the time, Texas, we took a picture in this chair. I still have that picture. It's pretty funny. I think we took a picture with Jacqueline. Now that I think about it, so I think her name was Jacqueline. So, uh, Jacqueline, by the way, at this point is an adult. I wonder what she's up to. I should probably just look that up. That'd be kind of weird, though. Um, so, uh, at like eleven fifteen p.m., she goes, "Okay, like I'm gonna put like it's your turn or something." So I'm going up late. This party's over, okay, guys. There's old people who are just tired at their tables. There's there are uh, um, you know the kids are just kind of tired. It's eleven fifteen. You know the kids have been running around. They're all kind of in the back of the room, and the mom like has them line up. There's a band on stage. It was a big, big, big ballroom, right? So I am just, at this point, it's not going to go all right. The dad has no idea who I am, really. Like, he's, <coughs> the stage is an elevated stage, and he just has his arm on the stage with, like, a very judging look, like, looking up at me, like, who are you? So I get on stage, and uh, in my head, I'm like, I'm just going to kill some time. You know what I mean? I had to do 30 minutes at this point. I don't even think I had 30 minutes, right? I really didn't have, well, I definitely didn't have 30 solid minutes, but I don't even know if, you know, doing 30 is, is that might've been the longest set I've ever been asked to do, come to think of it. Um, so yeah, at this point I hadn't made $400 period. Now that I think about it, I had not made $400. I mean, I made $400 when you piece together every gig I ever did, but I never made $400 for a weekend. Like I said earlier at this point. So I get on stage and I'm like, I'm just going to kill some time. I'm Jewish. They're Jewish. This can't be too bad. I'll talk about some Jewish stuff, right? So I get on stage and I go, hey, everybody, all right. You know, like, uh, you know, Jacqueline's bat mitzvah, huh? Like, uh, how was she at Temple this morning? And I said that because for my bar mitzvah, I had to study for like 10 months. I had to do a lot. You had to read from the Torah. I I I had to learn all these different Torah portions. I had to read from the Haftarah. Uh, it's a long thing. I had to learn how to chant everything with the right tropes. It's a lot, right? So that's usually that's what like being bar mitzvah is. You read from the Torah. That's how, like my. That's why they say like becoming a man or something. So I said, "How was she at temple this morning?" That was like the first thing out of my mouth. Almost this old lady in the front goes, "What's your?" She goes, "What's your problem?" And I'm like, "What the fuck is going on?" Like in my head, I'm like, "What the hell's happening right now?" So. I go, huh? And in my head, I'm like, why is no one telling this lady to shut up? Like, she's clearly being rude, right? She goes, what's your problem? And I go, oh, uh, I don't have a problem. Keep in mind, guys, I have 29 minutes and 50 seconds left, right? So I go, I don't have a problem. I go, I'm just saying, how how is uh, Jacqueline at Temple this morning when she read from the Torah? And she goes, what's the matter with you? And I go, I don't know what's happening, <laughs> what is going on, and I go, what do you mean, I go, I'm sorry, synagogue, like, I thought maybe she was upset that I said temple, uh, I'm kind of intimidated also, because they're orthodox, so I'm like, maybe I don't know some shit, which I turned out I didn't, um, so I go, what, I go, uh, I mean, I'm in synagogue, like, when she read from the Torah, and then she goes, what, she goes, what's wrong with you, and I go, what is, I go, I bet she was great. Like in my head, guys, I'm just saying this at the beginning because I thought I'd get everyone going like, yeah, you know, like applause, eat up some time. You know, Jacqueline was great. Oh my God. You know, whatever. Maybe I could 
I could use that to get into something else. Like, oh, well, oh really? Uncle so-and-so did this? Or yeah, whatever. I'm just hoping, right? It totally backfired on me. And uh, this lady's just like, what's your problem? You know, what's the matter with you? And I go, this morning, like, I'm just confused, right? I go, at synagogue, when she read from the Torah, and, she go, and the lady goes, we're Orthodox. And I go, I know. I go, so I'm guessing she had to do a lot of stuff. Because in my head, I just think Orthodox is more Jewish than my temple. So I'm guessing she had to do even more than I did, right? And she goes, she's a girl. And I'm like, I know. And then in my head, I'm like, did I say bar mitzvah? And so I think I might have said that loud. I go, did I say bar? I go, bot. I said bar mitzvah. How is it bot? And she goes, uh, she basically tells me that Orthodox uh, Jews, like the girls don't have to read from the Torah for their bat mitzvah. And then I was just, I didn't know that. So I just go, what? And I go, so she just got this whole party for doing nothing? Do you think that went well, guys? No. I am eating shit in front of, I mean, this is a big party. There was one table who, when I did some jokes, I remember, they would laugh. And they were the kind of people, they were like the age, to this day, I don't know if they were laughing like, this is hilarious, this is the biggest train wreck I've ever seen, or they were laughing because they actually thought it was funny. It seemed like they were laughing because they thought it was actually funny. But <coughs> it was bad. The dad the whole time is looking at me just with bewilderment. He does not keep his arm. He didn't take his arm off the stage. I think at one point maybe he walked away and like started talking to the his wife. Like and I, I'm guessing that conversation was, what the fuck is going on here? Why do you hire this guy? He's terrible. So anyways, I knew it was going to be bad. My buddy's in the back of the room with this big smile on his face, like kind of like two thumbs up. Like, you got this, Jeffy. You know, like you, you can do it. I did about 27 minutes. It was bad. Don't even remember any of the jokes I told. The lady told me, by the way, initially that she's gonna pay. She, you know, she'd have my payment that night. She'd she'd pay me after the show. So I got stage. I go to say goodbye or whatever. And she, the first thing she said, she was like, "Hey, she goes, we're gonna send you the check." And I go, "Okay, right." And I wasn't gonna argue because you know I just bombed so bad. I kind of should have, but now that I, you know, at this point, I didn't I didn't have any sort of. <laughs> confidence or anything because i knew it was gonna be bad. but anyway so long story short i get the check uh i don't remember how long later it was for 125 dollars and clearly this lady was like you know not trying to pay me the full amount because it wasn't a good show but i told her it wasn't gonna be a good show i told her like three or four times don't hire me i straight up said don't hire me this is a bad idea and she did anyways because she said i had a cute picture she goes i just want a cute jew a cute jewish guy so it's like okay you're an idiot. So this lady, uh, so I call her, right? And uh, I was like, oh, yeah, hi. I go, it's Jeff Keith. I go, you hired me for your daughter's what misfit? And she's like, yeah. She's like, I tell this lady who's not happy to even talk to me. And I go, yeah, you just got your check. I go, it's for $125, but you're supposed to pay me 400 And then she's like, no, I wasn't. It was always 125 and then I was like, mm. I go, no. I go, we have emails and everything. It says 400 And then she's like, no, it was always 125 And I go, what are you talking about? I go, my manager has an email from me saying it's $400. And I go, why don't you just say, you should have just sent me 100 and been like, oh, it was a typo. Or, you know, I meant to say 100 but I said 400 or, or, or I said 100 but you heard four. You know what I mean? Like 125 none of those numbers are the same as 400. 400 is 400. It doesn't sound the same. None of the words or the numbers are the same. So I said that to her, and then she goes, and when I said that, the whole thing about my manager has the email, she goes, I knew she was going to say this at some point. She goes, well, you bombed my daughter's bat mitzvah. And I go, I know. 
She thought I was going to be like taken aback, like, oh, heavens to Betsy. How could you say something like that to me, right? So I just go, I know. I was there. It was terrible. And she goes, you're lucky you even got 125. And I go, lady, you said 400. And she goes, you were terrible. And I go, I know. Again, I was there. I told you it would be terrible. I told you not to hire me. You said you wanted a cute Jewish guy, and I kept telling you not to hire me. I go, it's not my fault you made a bad purchase. I go, and what what other product tells you that they're bad? You know what I mean? So I basically told this lady, like, yeah, I know it's terrible. It's your fault for hiring me. And then she just goes, you're lucky you got 125. You bombed my daughter's bat mitzvah. It was terrible. And I go, can you send me the other 275 bucks? And that's the last time we spoke. I did not get the $275. So there you go, guys. Those are four pretty fun bombing stories. And now... Here's the inspirational speech. I promise you, hopefully it helps your day and turns a bad mood into a good one. Thanks for listening. We all have two people. We have the easy voice, which is that very comfortable voice holding you saying, it's gonna be okay. Doesn't care how good you are, just loves you. Just loves you no matter how messed up you are in life. That's that voice that we all love. This other voice that we walk very far away from is a voice saying, hey man, you're not working your butt off hard enough. You're not trying hard enough. Turn up this voice over here. The voice saying things to you that aren't nice. I'm saying listen to the truth. The truth is in this other part of your brain saying, look man, you're wasting a bunch of percentage here. We have 80 more percent that we're not tapping into because in this other 80%, is suffering, pain, failure, self-doubt, darkness, and then a whole bunch of light. But to get to this light, you gotta go through all of this So everybody goes, how do you do that? You know exactly how to do that. It's not a magic trick. It's all back down to a very primitive mindset of we just have to do. When that alarm clock goes off at four or five in the morning, your mind says no. You just say, this is what we do. It's what we do now. And that's your new norm. You will not find toughness in a comfortable environment. The only way you find it is to drown yourself in a position where you're just out of sorts. Where you can't swim and you're drowning. You're drowning in life. When you say, you know what, man? that I'm gonna figure out how to and backstroke or something when you quit your mind says we're done so it doesn't expand there's no expansion when you quit when you say you this sucks I'm drowning I'm miserable I'm suffering I'm broken but I'm not going anywhere what happens to your mind it says he's not leaving so we got to expand we got to grow we got to figure this thing out so then these compartments in your brain they have to work and then you start to engage parts of your mind that you never engaged before when you're in suffer mode and you say I'm not gonna quit and then once you do this over and over and over again it becomes like breathing I don't want to live this lifestyle but to get to the other side of this I have to
to four. Design to my daddy.